Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the host and the senior content director. Today, we continue a talk that we began a couple weeks ago. It was Bishop Barron's address to the United States Naval Academy. If you missed part one, you're going to want to go back and listen to that. I believe it was episode 282. I'll link to it in the show notes. Today, we're going to listen to the second half of this talk. If you remember, it was given in late 2020 in Annapolis, Maryland at the United States Naval Academy, and Bishop Barron discussed three sailors from the Bible, namely Noah, Jonah, and Christ, our Lord. He connected all of these themes of the water, the terrifying seas, the discouraging darkness and storms, but explains how when we allow ourselves to be swallowed up by the Lord's will, we find a peace that is sure and unshakable even in the midst of the worst storms. So we hope you enjoy this second half of the talk. And I want to remind you one more time, I know we've been discussing this for the past month or so, but I beg you, I request of you, I encourage you, please donate to the Word on Fire Bible Project. It's the biggest, most ambitious thing we're working on. It's likely, again, going to span over 10 years. So it's the project of our generation, and we want you to be a part of it. Please help us. You can donate at wordonfire.org slash Bible Project. If you believe in this, if you want to be a part of it, we'd love you to come and join us on this journey. Wordonfire.org slash Bible Project. All right, we'll sit back and enjoy the second half of Bishop Barron's address to the United States Naval Academy. Enjoy. Now, just a last thing. Do you remember how the story of Noah ends? So the floodwaters come, he and the animals with him survive, but then the waters recede. And then Noah opens the windows and opens the door and lets the life out. In fact, Noah becomes a new Adam, doesn't he? Because the whole human race, in terms of this narrative, is, is destroyed. And Noah becomes the father of the human race. He becomes the great life giver. What will allow, listen to me now, what will allow the spiritual life to endure in our country and our culture? Only people who have the gumption and the dedication to build an ark. So they can preserve something of God's good order. Not for their own private edification, but so that at the propitious moment, they can let the life out for the renewal of the world. God is always interested in the salvation of the whole world, but he might be choosing you and the ark that you build even now. So that when that propitious moment arrives, you can let out the life that you preserved. That's why everybody, that wonderful story, that, that ancient story, but too often told in such a way that it just you know, beguiles the minds of children. No, 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 no. This is a story of enormous spiritual significance for our time. Okay, that's my first um, Old Testament sailor. Here's second one, Jonah. Jonah, by the way, is one of the shortest books in the Bible. 
most Bibles, it takes up three pages. So in fact, the, the Noah story from six through 10 of Genesis is longer than the whole book of Jonah. So you can read it in one sitting. So, so do it when you have a chance. You can open your Bible and read it. But though it's a very brief story, Jonah has really punched above its weight over the centuries because it's beguiled the minds of, of poets and preachers and artists. In fact, I don't know if anyone, any great fans of American literature, but the, the great American novel, in my judgment, Melville's Moby Dick, you'll find Father Mapple's sermon on the book of Jonah, one of the great sermons in, in the literature of the world, I think. And if you're, if you're a YouTube follower, look up Father Mapple's sermon on YouTube, and you'll find the great Orson Welles. You guys are too young to remember Orson Welles, but one of the great American actors of the last century. And he plays Father Mapple in the movie Moby Dick, and he delivers from this pulpit that's shaped like the prow of a ship, and he preaches this great sermon on Jonah. So look that up, look that up, and that'll get you in the, in the mood to hear that story. Well, if Noah is about basic spiritual survival, Jonah is about finding your mission. Now, that's language that should appeal to everybody in this room. Finding your mission. It's basic to the Bible, everybody. In fact, in the Bible, it makes it unique, I think, in the spiritual literature of the world. Nobody is ever given an experience of God without being sent. Find an exception, I, I challenge you, anywhere in the Bible. Someone that's given an experience of God and is not sent on mission. See, God never gives us himself so that we can just uh, savor it for our own, our own enjoyment. No, no. God appears. God breaks into our lives that we might become a vehicle of his presence to others. We're sent on mission. Look at Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Peter, James, John. Every one of them is sent. In fact, doesn't Paul refer to himself so beautifully? I, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, he often says, doulos Christu Jesu, a slave of Christ Jesus, called by the will of the Father, sent as an apostle, and apostelain in Greek just means to send, doesn't it? See, see how Paul, he's not, he's not given an experience of God for his own sake. He's given an experience of God so that he might then be sent as a letter, to post a letter is related to that, apostelain. So that's the biblical view. Okay, now listen to it in terms of the prophet Jonah. Here's how the book opens. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. Okay, like Noah, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets, like, uh, like uh, Ray Kinsella in the movie, he hears a higher voice. So again, listen, I mean, we, we hear all kinds of voices, right? Of, of our, our parents and our, and our superiors and, and of the popular culture and, and, and voices telling us what to do and where to go. And that's fine. We should abide by these voices. 
But a spiritual person hears a higher voice, the voice of God. Now, God can speak through those other voices, too, and can be in communion with them. That's true. It's not a competition, necessarily. But the voice of God is a higher voice. And that's the one you've got to listen to. That's the one to tune into. You know, when Jesus talks about uh, he's a shepherd and the sheep, and the sheep know his voice. See, that's the discerning spiritual person is amid the cacophony of voices in the world. And, and, and worldly voices talking about wealth and power and privilege and position and influence and fame. Okay, okay, they can be all right, those things. But there's a higher voice you begin to discern. Jonah heard it. Jonah heard it. Here's one way I think everyone to sum up the spiritual life. Do you follow the ego drama or the theodrama? What's the ego drama? That's the drama that I'm writing, I'm producing, <laughs> I'm directing, and above all, I'm starring in it. My ego drama. It's my projects, my plans, what I want to do, what I envision. Do you follow that one, or do you follow the theodrama? What's that? That's the drama that God is writing, that God is producing, that God is directing, and indeed he's got a role for you, absolutely. But it's God's drama, not yours. See, that's the meaning of Jonah heard a higher voice, the voice of the director of the theodrama. That's the voice we got to listen to. I love this from John Henry Newman, recently canonized, just about a year ago, the church canonized John Henry Newman. God has created me to do him some definite service. He's committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. That's it. That's, that's a biblical mentality there. Why was I created? I and all my particularity. I with my particular set of gifts and interests. It's not for my edification. I've been given a mission now. And to find the mission is to find the pearl of great price. It's to find the treasure buried in the field. And what did Jesus say? When you found those things, sell everything you've got and buy that treasure, buy that pearl. That's all that matters, knowing what your mission is, knowing your role in the theodrama. Okay, so Jonah heard the voice. He's got his mission, Jonah. Go to Nineveh and proclaim repentance. Now, <laughs> tough mission? Uh-huh. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, an ancient, implacable foe of Israel. A long way from where Jonah was. So, Jonah, I want you to get up from your own country. I want you to walk a long way, essentially behind enemy lines, 
I want you to go into the capital city of this enemy empire, and I want you alone to declare repentance. Tough assignment. I bet you guys kind of like tough assignments, don't you? Deep down. Thomas Aquinas speaks of the virtue of magnanimity. Magnanimitas in his Latin. I've always loved that. Magna anima in Latin means big soul, right? Magna anima. It's opposed, by the way, to pusillanimity. A pusilla anima is a little tiny soul. God's not interested in little souls. God's not interested in mediocrity, spiritually speaking. God wants great souls. You know, it's interesting, um, the great Mohandas Gandhi, right, the political and spiritual founder of modern India, had a title, and he's known by that title, Mahatma Gandhi. Sounds like magna anima, doesn't it? Because Sanskrit stands behind a lot of Latin. Mahatma, the great-souled Gandhi. Magna anima, big soul. Where does a big soul come from? Thomas Aquinas says, when you take on some great spiritual project. Well, good. God gave Jonah a really tough, challenging, demanding spiritual project and said, off you go. What he said to Jonah was, Jonah, go east by land. And Jonah went west by sea. <laughs> so there's, there's the fulcrum of that story, is it's set up for perfect spiritual heroism. You heard the voice, you got your mission, you're being invited to be a great soul. And Jonah went the other way. He books passage on a ship to Tarshish. Now, the scholars are, again, somewhat in disagreement about this, what Tarshish meant. But the consensus seems to be Tarshish was an area or a city at the southern tip of Spain. So at the Pillars of Hercules, right? At the confluence of the Mediterranean and the Atlantic. For biblical people, that meant the end of the world. Jonah, go east by land in Nineveh. No, I'm going to go west by sea as far as I possibly can, away from the press of God. The drama here is, will this man accept his mission or not? And as the story opens, the answer is no. Jonah is running from his mission. So he books passage with several others, and they set out toward Tarshish. And what happens? The tohu bohu comes back. Right? We hear that this great storm kicks up. Now, again, don't read this as somehow divine, you know, God falling into a snit. Spiritual physics. The resistance of your mission causes storms to break out causes the tohu vabohu to come back. Listen now. Causing trouble for you, yes indeed, and for those around you. 
The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came up upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God, for the men knew that he, Jonah, was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Resisting your mission causes storms in your own life and causes trouble for those around you. If the saint is someone who's meant to be a vehicle of God's grace to those around him, the resistance to mission has the opposite effect. That's the point here. Now, I love this, to his great credit, Jonah realized, and this is to his great credit, and it's why in many ways he's, he's saved. He, he gets it. I'm the cause of all this trouble. Listen, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Okay, good. Jonah understands the dynamics. So they throw him into the sea and the storm calms down. And then what we all know from the story of Jonah, up comes the great fish that swallows him up. What happens now when you're resisting your mission? Storms will come, yep. But see, God, God is always after us. He's not just going to let things go. And by the way, he's the Lord of the whole universe. If God's the creator and sustainer of all things, God's the Lord of heaven and earth and the sea and all that they contain, as the Bible says. And so God sends the great fish that swallows up Jonah. Now, what does it mean spiritually? Think of the fish now, which is, which is acting at the prompting of God, as a swallowing up Jonah's willful resistance. So it's his will. Talk about ego drama. No, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go where I want to go. I want to go to Tarshish, away from you, Lord. So God has to swallow up Jonah's will. He has to confine him. He's got to wrap him up. Out of hatred? No, no, no. Out of vengeance? No, no, no. It's a curative process. Jonah's will is being constrained that it might in time become obedient to God's will. You know, it's it's lovely. Find it in the book of Jonah. One of the most beautiful prayers Jonah utters from the belly of the fish. De profundis clamavi te domine, is the Latin. From the depths I've called out to you, Lord. Imagine in the beautiful narrative of that story, I mean, to be stuck inside the, a fish in this completely constrained state. Everything in you is held back. But to his great credit, Jonah prays out of that condition. Now, listen to me. In so many stories of the great saints and the great mystics and the great spiritual masters, you'll find exactly this moment. Almost all of them had to go through a testing and a trial. 
In the Bible, look at, at the Moses. Before Moses is ready for his great work of liberation, he has to spend all that time in the desert as a simple shepherd. Think of Joseph, right? As a, as a kid, he's full of himself and full of his own ego and his own plans. He has to be sent down into the pit, sold into slavery, sent to prison. Joseph has to go through many years of being swallowed up, his will constrained. So Jonah. But then beautifully, the fish carries him back to shore, vomits him out exactly where God wants him to be. Here's something to think about. When you're going through a difficult time in your life, I mean a time of great anxiety or depression, self-doubt, fear. We all know what that's like. How do we read that? Do we read it simply as dumb suffering? This thing that's just dumbly and purpose, purpose, without purpose happened to me? Or do I read it as God constraining my will, setting a limit to the ego drama that he might ready me for the theodrama. That's Jonah now coming on the land. And then the story ends marvelously as Jonah comes to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. He fled from it. He was terrified of the prospect. But he makes his way now through the great city and he's proclaiming repentance. And by God, he becomes the greatest preacher of repentance in the history of the preaching of repentance. Listen. And the people of Nineveh believe God. They proclaimed a fast. Everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is the king of this great rival empire. The king repents. And things got so intense and here, <laughs> the Bible is a very funny book, but we read it in such solemn tones, typically, that we miss the humor. Things got so intense that even the animals repented. Human beings and animals shall be covered in sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. Brothers and sisters, what power we unleash when we cooperate with the purposes of God. That's the point. Noah's about spiritual survival. What do we have to do to make sure that the tohu vabohu doesn't overwhelm us? Just build an ark, build an ark. But now, secondly, when you hear the higher voice, don't run to Tarshish. Don't resist it. It causes trouble for you and everybody around you. Rather, allow God to swallow up your will and bring you where he wants you to be. And then you will find, what does Jesus say? Increasing 30, 60, and 100-fold. You'll find that you will light a fire upon the earth. You'll find that things will be realized you never dreamed possible if you surrender your powers to the purposes of God. You know, just a last thought on, on Jonah. 
I can't help but think of Nineveh, the great city, this great enemy city, as perhaps evocative of today's society, so marked by secularism. And we might think, well, you know, what good could I possibly do as a, as a preacher of the gospel, as a proclaimer of God to this hyper-secularized society? Don't you believe it, but rather cooperate with the call from that higher voice. And even the great city of Nineveh can come to repentance. Okay, I'm going to do one last little sailor. I know I'm going a little bit too long. Uh, those are two from the Old Testament. I'll do this very briefly from the New. Because I think the greatest sailor in the New Testament is Jesus himself. The story that's told in all four Gospels in slightly different ways. But the story of Jesus calming the storm at sea. Now, we're used to it by now. The storm at sea. The tohu bohu, right? The disciples are in a boat. Whenever you've got the disciples in a boat in the New Testament, it's a symbol of the church. So here's the church making its way through the stormy waters of space and time. They're terrified. But Jesus is asleep in the boat. What does that mean? It means that Christ, who is the coming together of divinity and humanity, Christ, who is divinity come into our humanity, is the place where we can find peace, even in the midst of the worst storms. No storm can shake my inmost calm, while to that rock I'm clinging, says the hymn. Find that place in you where Christ is dwelling. Find that place of peace as you make your way through the stormy waters of your own life. Learn how to find that place where Christ is sleeping peacefully within you. So build an ark. Accept your mission. Don't resist it. Find the place of peace. Christ sleeping in the boat. And God bless you all. Thanks for listening tonight. Well, we hope you enjoyed the conclusion of Bishop Barron's address to the United States Naval Academy. It was a wonderful talk, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. One more reminder, I know I've been beating this drum for the past month and a half, but I'd like to invite you to please join us in bringing to completion this ambitious Word on Fire Bible project. You've heard our appeals, probably you own a copy of the first volume of the Bible, and maybe you just haven't got around to donating. Well, consider this your, your call, your moment. We'd love for you to join us in this ambitious effort to bring this Bible series to completion. Right now, we're, we're just wrapping up volume two, but we're hoping this spans seven volumes over 10 years. So it's an extraordinary project. We can't do it ourselves. We need your help. Please support us at the website wordonfire.org slash Bible project. Whatever you donate will, of course, appreciate. But if you can donate over $85, you'll receive one of the very first copies of Volume 2 when it rolls off the presses in just a few months. Again, the website's wordonfire.org slash Bible project. I'll include a link in the show notes, and I hope you can support us. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Word on Fire show. 